0: This is The Guardian. Hello, I'm Faker Carruthers and welcome to The Guardian Women's Football Weekly. It's going down to the wire. It's going down to the death. The WSL is going down to the last day of the season – except most of us have actually handed the trophy to Chelsea and waved a sad goodbye to Reading. But anything is possible. Whatever happens, the place to be is the Medeski Stadium on Saturday. Manchester United's dramatic late winner and defeat for Leicester leaves us with a tantalising final weekend. The SWPL was even more dramatic, so we'll discuss all that, talk agents' fees, plus take your questions. And that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. What a panel we have today. Susie Rack, nice to see you last night. I know, right? We actually saw each trying face-to-face for a change. It, it, was, it was a delight. I absolutely loved it. <laughs> Normally just see your face, either well, or hear your voice on the end of a phone or see your face in a Zoom square. So it was lovely.
1: I have seen you, I have seen you more in the last 24 hours than I have my husband, which is slightly concerning really, but you know. I, I say plan. that
0: quite a lot actually, which is always a worry. I think my husband's quite pleased about that. Kelly Smith, a debut on the pod. Great to have you on. How are you doing? How's the new role?
2: Yeah, no, I'm very excited to be, make my debut on, on the podcast and obviously my new role like you just mentioned at Arsenal. You know, I've just come in off the back of five games, the last five games and just, it's been really interesting to be back in the club environment especially a club that's really kind of dear to my heart obviously played a long time there throughout my career so it's quite a proud moment to be wearing that Arsenal badge again yeah we'll
0: we'll hear a bit more from you later about how it's how it's going back there Chris Poweros I managed to squeeze in a hug with you at an event a couple of weeks ago how have you been?
3: All the better for that hug, Faye. Nice.
0: <laughs> it's always the best Chris hugs ever. Uh, right, listen, we're going to start at Kings Meadow and the top of the table. Chelsea completed a 100% winning record at Kings Meadow with a 2-0 victory over Arsenal. Goals from Guru Wrighton and, and who else but the departing Magdalena Eriksson, putting them within touching distance of a fourth consecutive WSL title. Susie, the, the first half at least, it was a pretty dominant performance Chelsea at this point of the season just look at a different level. Obviously, Arsenal have been depleted, but this was a deserved win, wasn't it?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I think you know you say it after every single Arsenal injury, but is this one one too many? I do think the the injury to the Avanti was just that one too many, a little a little bit too weakened in the midfield. Defensive options have shifted around so much this season without having her sitting in front of them, sort of making up for. The losses at the back, you're, you're you're struggling a bit. And then obviously Chelsea have a bit of a point to prove after the Connie Cup final. I mean, they're a different beast in May. M Hayes prepares them for this. They made six changes to the team that played midweek. Arsenal made one in force change. It's a huge difference in squad utilisation, which Arsenal just didn't have available. So I worked out the other day that Chelsea have scored 29 goals in May. And that's like 48% or something of their total for the season in one month. So to say that they step it up a gear in May is a little bit of an understatement. Second half, I thought Arsenal looked decent, good chances. It just sort of felt like nothing was going to go their way though.
0: It's felt like that all season, Kelly, hasn't it? And I'm sure you feel like that as an Arsenal fan as well as employee. It has been a very long season with the injuries, but obviously the result in the Manchester derby, which we'll talk about shortly means that even though you lost this match, you've all but guaranteed Champions League football for next season. How important is that for the club and, and for Jonas Eideval as well next year?
2: Yeah, it's it's crucial for recruits that want to come in, that want to play Champions League football. Obviously disappointed to, to miss out on the title so late in the season. But like Susie said, you, the injuries have really taken their toll with the squad and I couldn't agree more. Leo Volti was a big miss and um, there's only so many players that you can make lead out of the miss out of the starting 11 and she's a big key part of it you know working with her day in day out over the past what couple of weeks I've just seen the qualities that she has and and brings and she's that link between defense and attack and we really missed her we made a few tactical changes at half time but we had a real clear chance with Steena when she was one on one if that goes in probably changed the head of the game Second half, we were a lot, lot better, but we just didn't have the the strength and depth on the bench. But next season will be a whole new season for us. We'll recruit well, uh, strengthen the side, and we go again. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting season next season. We need to touch
0: on, on Leah Volti being missing because the reason for that is because she was injured in a challenge that then saw Chelsea Loney, Aggie Beaver-Jones sent off in their win over Everton. There were concerns, though, Susie, about the amount of abuse uh, that the young striker re- received afterwards.
1: Yeah, it was interesting because the discourse was very much like oh, she's getting loads of abuse on one side and then other people going, I don't see any abuse. Where's this abuse? I mean, the fact that she had to put her Instagram account private is a sort of indication of of the kind of level of stuff she was getting. Um, there was quite a lot doing the rounds, which isn't OK, right? Like I was fuming at that challenge. I'm an Arsenal fan, as is widely known. And, you know, in our private WhatsApp chats, I was raging uh, about the challenge. But, you know, you never go and abuse a young player. No player goes in intentionally aiming to damage a player's career right like that's just not a thing that happens no player does that I think it was odd that the referee sort of paused and uh, upgraded the cards and hadn't realized how bad it was in the first instance but it's good that obviously they upgraded the card fine to rant and rave about all that kind of stuff but don't target a player I just think that's out of order
0: Yeah, so many things like that are totally out of order and need to be addressed, as we've mentioned, on many occasions uh, before. Chelsea fans are also bidding farewell to Magda Eriksson and Penilla Harder, whose exits were announced during the week. Both of them rumoured to be heading to Bayern Munich. Eriksson, of course, a stalwart at Chelsea. She's been there for six years, captain for four of them. Harder's been there for the past three years. And and Chris, these two have been so important both on the pitch for Chelsea, but also off the pitch for the wider LGBTQ plus community.
3: Absolutely, and you could see how emotional Magda Eriksson was when she scored that goal. You know, the way she celebrated with her teammates. I actually saw her, I mean, maybe I was uh, putting my, something onto her, but like uh, you could see her sort of welling up there. And I think it's going to be a big loss for the WSL, actually, to see them both moving on, uh, both in terms of the quality of the play. I mean, you know... I'm, you talked about the uh, FA Cup final, but that, you know, P- Peniela Harder just changed that game and, you know, Chelsea are going to miss that, but, you know, there's no doubt that Emma Hayes is going to have a plan. And, you know, in terms of having their voices in women's football for the LGBTQ plus community, I think they're sort of, they're almost unparalleled in that sense because they use their platform really wisely, both separately and together. And, you know, if you you know see some of the sort of, you um, podcasts and vodcasts they've done you know videos they put out to talk about what those sort of what the issues are and you know in support of the trans community as well at a time that they're very much under attack I think they're really really important voices and and we will miss them
0: yeah, they they will be a huge, a huge, huge miss. <laughs> Actually, Susie, Chelsea almost got ahead of their the announcement that they were leaving by revealing their first signing of the summer as well. Germany midfielder Nushkin, uh, Katerina Macario, and Ashley Lawrence have also reportedly agreed terms. How impressive is it the way that Emma Hayes is always? Changing this team, moving them forward, and how much is that crucial in Chelsea's long-term success?
1: Yeah, I can't remember where, which gate, which press, like all the press conferences in the last like week and a half have merged into one giant press conference and one giant game. But at some point in the last week, Emma Hayes talked about how she wanted to um, build the team to a point at which it was still competitive and winning whilst in transition. And I mean that's proved effective. <laughs> they're still winning. You could say they're in a moment of transition now, with Frank Kirby injured, with Panilla Harder out for most of the season. You know they started the season with Kadisha Buchanan, phasing out Magda ahead of her going in the summer. They've had to sort of fall back on her with the injury to Millie Bright and stuff towards the end. But they they are they have been in a a smaller period of transition than perhaps their last big one where you had like the Karen Carney's and Katie Chapman's and Claire Rafferty's and stuff all going but it is a big moment so to do this to do what they've done whilst still winning is like the most impressive thing for me and like it's interesting to hear Emma say that that is a very very conscious thing that the focus is maintaining winning whilst being in transition. I think it's going to be interesting to see how recruitment changes with the new Chelsea ownership and like the control of that and like the money available and how that plays out. Um, I don't think a huge amount will change as long as Emma's there because she's doing everything right.
0: Mm. I know you can't talk too much, Kelly, about what goes on behind the scenes at Arsenal in, in your new role, but do you look at what is going on at Chelsea and, you know, Arsenal have always done things in a really good way and... In some ways, with all the injuries, you're in a kind of different transition yourself because clearly the squad depth has been a problem this season. How do you go about making sure that Arsenal keep up with with Chelsea going forward when you know the Champions League
2: places has been so competitive this season? Yeah, I mean, with the, the squad that we have, we reached the semi final, so we have quality, a lot of quality. But when you lose five, five, six players the spine of your team for injury is going to affect the way that you play. And we did change formations and adapt to a different playing style because you're missing Beth, Viv, Leah at the end and and a couple of other players. So, yeah, it's always going to be a struggle, but I'm sure Jonas and Claire Wheatley have a plan to bring new players in. You know, I'm not in those talks, but they have to strengthen the squad. Hopefully the players that we've lost will come back. Uh, next season and be fit and ready to go because they are fantastic players Um, so yeah it's all about the recruitment process yes Chelsea have done it and like um, you said she's Emma Hayes knows the players she wants and years in advance she's she's checked them out um, written them on a piece of paper and then got her uh, people to go and have those talks so for Jonas I know he has uh, his own plan The players that he wants to bring into a a, a side that likes playing possession-based football creates very good high-scoring goal opportunities. And hopefully securing Champions League football will bring that elite player to our club. I think anything, you know, finishing fourth would have been a real big disappointment. We have to beat Villa on, on Saturday with a depleted squad. But what I've noticed about this team, obviously being working in the media side of it, It's about giving opinions. Didn't really know what was going on. Now I'm in it. I know what's going on. So I think, you know, it's crucial that we get that win and then we can get that high elite player to come to us in in, in the summer.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fascinating, I think, for all teams in the summer because it feels as if everybody has has stepped things up a bit this season, for sure. Adam Salter says, uh, anyone think that there will be a final twist to the WSL season and that Chelsea will lose at Reading? They lost their last season. I mean, they did, and it was 3-2, wasn't it, earlier on in, in this season in the reverse fixture? But I, I
3: think I know what the answer to this question is going to be, but I'll let you all answer it. Susie said earlier how many goals Chelsea have scored in May. And I think they're going to score
2: another hatful. I, yeah, I, I agree with you, Chris. I can't see Chelsea slipping up in the last game of the season. How good would it be,
1: though? Like, I mean, it's going to be devastating, right, for Reading relegated watching that trophy lift. I mean, it's going to be the complete opposite end of the spectrum of emotions on that pitch. But could you imagine if it's the other way around? Like, that would be brilliant.
3: Oh no! I don't want to see okay. United win the league. <laughs> Listen,
0: we're used to the London derby being a real humdinger, and it was comfortably in Chelsea's favour, I would say, at the weekend. But the Manchester derby was the was the game to be at. Chelsea looked. Ready to get their party started when United and City were drawing one all with five minutes to go. But Lucia Garcia was the party pooper. If you're from the blue bit of London, that is obviously. <laughs> she scored the late winner for United in a 2 1 victory over Manchester City at Lee Sports Village. United had gone one up after just two minutes following a fantastic shot from Hayley Ladd. And when Ellie Roebuck was sent off for a challenge on Nikita Paris, it looked like United would be absolutely fine. But a Philippa Angledal cross. Looped in over Mary Earp's head to make it one-one, requiring Garcia to rescue the title. Uh, Chris, given that Manchester City knew that Arsenal losing reopened the door for a Champions League spot, were you disappointed perhaps with how they performed
3: in this game? Interestingly, I thought they they didn't start very well. Although I think you know I'm I'm sort of loving the Nikita Paris Renaissance. I thought that you know that she opened the game just beautifully. I thought City started playing once they went down to ten. I mean, Ellie Roebuck looks so devastated. It's like her face; she almost couldn't believe what she'd done herself. You know, I think that you can imagine that they were they're going to be gutted not to be in the in the Champions League. But I think you you know it just goes to show, like we're just talking about Emma Hayes' transitions and what it means when the when the when the team changes. You know, you can't underestimate what losing Georgia Stanway, Lucy Bronze, Kira Walsh is going to do to a team, and they obviously haven't. You know, they haven't quite managed to kind of make up for that. So I think they they're going to have to look at what they're going to do next because you know not being in the Champions League is a big deal for Manchester City. Yeah, we'll talk
0: about Gareth Taylor's uh, potential new contracts shortly, but another late goal for Manchester United, Kelly and another win for them when the pressure was on, which is something that that Mark Skinner has really improved on this season, I think. Everything that Chelsea have thrown at them in this run in that they've just had the answer to it.
2: Yeah, they have, and i watched the game and I was thinking, God, it's Chelsea's title and then Garcia pops up. But I think they've changed the the mental side of the game psychologically to stay involved for large parts of games, especially the latter part of the season, to push City all the way. And they, they don't make too many changes, United. I think the fewest in in the league. So they have this real understanding of those 11, 12, 13 uh, players. And you can tell, obviously, the early goal really, really settled the nerves for United. But yeah, there is speculation about Russo and Battier leaving at the end of the season. There are in talks to potentially keep them or move on. I think Battier will be a big miss. I think she had nine assists from right back this season. And obviously, Russo, we know that she's a fantastic talent. Can they keep her? I think that would be key to their progression next year. But it's great to see that they've secured Champions League football because they've finished fourth the last couple of seasons and, and always missed out. So to push the title all the way. I think Mark Skinner's done a fantastic job for them just to keep them believing, keep them in games. And you saw the celebrations after the game, what it meant to them. It's their first ever win in a Manchester derby. So we're not talking about you know the top three anymore. It's the top four and potentially Villa coming into a real strong league with five top teams that can beat anybody on any given day. And that's what you want, a competitive league. And certainly the Barclays WSL, for me, is the most competitive league in the world. Yeah, it really is, and actually great for
0: Manchester United finishing second. They've just got to go through that qualifying stage, which you know is better than finishing third and having, god knows how many games like Manchester City did earlier this season. Susie Serena Viegman was in attendance at the Lee Sports Village. Um, I think we're due the squad announcement uh, next Wednesday for the World Cup, but <laughs> neither of the England goalkeepers covered themselves in glory, particularly. Firstly, Ellie Roebuck, has, uh, as Chris said, looked devastating. She got all of Nikita Paris, none of the ball. And then Mary Earps conceding another one of those goals that she likes to concede. Uh, oh, this is a very broad question, but what is going on with uh, English goalkeeping right now?
1: Oh god, I really, I, I hope they're getting it out their system right. <laughs> this is this is their blip pre World Cup, and then they're gonna come out and have an incredible summer. I mean, obviously, we we know that goalkeeping is massively behind the rest of the development of the game in terms of like levels of goalkeeper coaching that players have had. You know, it's only really the Ellie Roebuck generation that have had high quality goalkeeper coaching from an early age. So you know, there's gonna be bumps along the road. I don't think Roebuck has looked the same since her injury. I mean, I'm sure she'll find some form at some point. I think she she looks like she's lacking a little bit of confidence, to be honest, at the moment. It's not helped by the fact that City haven't had the best season. It's not been the most solid defence in front of her. The team have struggled a little bit here and there. In terms of Mary, I mean, she's a big game player. <laughs> um, and has a mistake in her but often will step up in the right moments
0: and made a couple of cracking saves exactly in this game. and you know
1: just oozes confidence really really believes in herself in a way that for me makes her absolutely undroppable for England it's going to be interesting to see who goes as third choice like you know not necessarily whether it would be an Urps, Roebuck one and two it could be Erps hampton or Erps mckeever one and two rather than and Roebuck as number three even I think like I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic to
0: see to see which way things go Never thought we'd say that a few years ago did we at all No nailed on Roebuck number one It was, was nailed on mm. exactly exactly Question from uh, Adam Bateman Should Millie Bright be taken to the World Cup if she doesn't play for Chelsea against Reading because by the time of the World Cup it would be about five months since her last game that's surely too big a
2: risk to rely on her. Yes, She has to go. Has to go. <laughs> <laughs> I think she'll oh, be the captain, won't she, if um, Leah's out? I think she's vice-captain. So, I mean, they're going to play very high training sessions. They're going to play behind closed-door games. So there's no worries for, for me on a fitness level. She's already up there in terms of fitness. A couple of weeks off is not going to hinder her performances at the World Cup. She's She, she has to start for me. There you go. Uh, You've been told, Adam, (laughs) in no (laughs) uncertain
0: terms, Millie Bright is going to the World Cup. Uh, Just a quick one, Kelly, on the news that broke yesterday that Gareth Taylor is set to get a new one-year deal at Manchester City, despite missing out, as it looks, on Champions League football. Were you
2: surprised that they're going to keep him on? Well, if you think they haven't won anything this season and Manchester City as a global brand, especially with the, the men's team being crowned Premier League champions getting to a Champions League final and the women coming away with nothing this year. To be honest, I was a little bit surprised. Manchester City are known for winning. You know, they were a big powerhouse, not to say that not now, a good few years ago. But other teams seem to have, have caught them up, especially United in their recruitment and resources that they have. But yeah, they you know, he's, he's had a hard job because so many players left in the summer. But you have to ask the question, why did those players want to leave? Why did Lucy Bonds want to leave? Why did Stanway want to leave? Kira Walsh, someone that is a product of the academy and probably one of the best holding midfielders in world football. There was a big exodus of players. Why? And that's the inner, inner thinking for me. But look, he got the team together, brought in some younger players. Hasagawa was a good signing for me from West Ham, a similar player to Walsh. Uh, in that respect, you can tell that he likes that relaxed technical player in that holding midfield but it did take them a while to gel and they they picked up a lot of points the latter part of the season but is is a little bit too late I do feel like they're too heavily reliant on Bunny Shaw not enough goals from from Lauren Hemp this this year she's you know assist she's been good but goals need to come from other players and that didn't happen for them so yeah um, he's on for another year and hopefully for, for him and them next season they can push on again
0: Yeah, it's going to be a real fascinating off-season, isn't it? That's it for part one. In part two, we'll look at the bottom of the table and the battle against relegation. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Tottenham 4, Reading 1. The first ever WSL Premier League doubleheader was both good and bad for Spurs. The women at least managed to bring some joy to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as goals from Beth England, Celine Bizet and Kit Graham saw them guarantee WSL football for next season. Chris, you were there. Uh, What was the atmosphere like? What did you make of the club's decision in the first place to play the games back to back?
3: I think it was a great idea. I think particularly, now, you know, in May, the sun's shining, you know, what could it be like? I think it was always going to be dependent. The numbers, I think, were always going to be dependent on two things, the weather and how the men's team played. By the time that third Brentford goal went in, a lot of people left, like a lot of people left. And so you could sort of see sort of the writing was on the slightly on the wall there. But a number of people did stay. Actually, there were lots of more people in the South Stand that stayed than I than I thought they would. But a friend of mine went who, he's been with me twice more recently, but he hasn't had a season ticket for a number of years because so he's got a young family. And I made him stay for the women's game. And he just said, it was. he said it was really different and he couldn't put his finger on what was different. And Goals. a lot of the people- <laughs> I'm in the atmosphere. Before we get to the game, Susan, come on now. I was very polite earlier. You can't help yourself. I was just thinking <laughs> this. Chris, Chris stayed very, very quiet during the Arsenal <laughs> section and straight in there, rack goes for the jugular. I know, right? But the, a lot of the people in the South Stand left at half-time in the women's game because I think they, I think that they were expecting the same kind of vibes and they weren't getting it. Because actually... It was a big game for the women's team. You know, there was, there, there was no kind of, we want to criticise the club, we want to do any... There was none of that because it was like we had to win that game to stay in the WSL. And we know, I think we all know that we're too good to go down. That's never an excuse you could see teams that have been too good to go down in the past that have done. So I think it was just a great relief when that first goal went in and you could sort of see that they came out playing with a bit of a swagger and a belief that I don't think we've had a lot of this season. I think Vicky Jepson called it a pressure cooker afterwards. Um and then you saw I don't know, we finally saw it whistling, the pressure cookers whistle. I don't know. Yeah. Something like that. They do. Very old school, like a whistling kettle. Yeah. But it was great. And I think that second goal was wonderful. You know, there was like, I don't know how many touches it was. It was like six players and an eight and nine pass sequence and a really sweet finish from Celine Bizet. And I'm always delighted when she scores because I've made my I've made up a song for her that I absolutely love. Sing it, Chris, sing and it. So when she scores, do you want me to say? No. I'll tell you what, because I, I yes. love it. It goes, Near far wherever you are I believe that Celine will score God
1: it took me a second to get it I love it oh, no,
3: sorry i tried it's sort of i tried to make it footballish the first time she scored I was like oh my god her name's Celine. we have to come up with a Celine Dion so between us we did a little bit of kind of you know a little bit of workshopping like in the stands at Brisbane Road and uh and came up with that so look that was great but you cannot underestimate the impact of of Beth England you know 10 goals in 11 league appearances for us you know she's got 12 in total so she's ahead of Sam Kerr and Alessia Russo in the WSL scoring charts pretty much from half a season it would be an absolute travesty if she didn't go to the world cup like a, a travesty like i think you know we should all have you know i can't even get my words out because I, <laughs> you know, I think you have Russo and tune were impact players in the euros right and now they're definitely starters so if you're not going to start her she could definitely come on and make an impact and she she could score a goal from from nothing you know we've seen individual goals we've seen goals that are from the team i think you know i know there's already a campaign out there but Beth England for England. I mean, it even works from from her name.
0: <laughs> you need a new song, Chris, for that.
3: <laughs> I've got one for her as well to be fair, but not for her not for England. And I'm not doing any more singing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, I really, really sorry, Susie, to interrupt you. I'm—I don't know about you and Kelly, Susie, but I would love just to walk down the street and have Chris behind me serenading me <laughs> with my own song. C- come up with one for all of us. I'm desperate. I'd be like, wow. Sorry Susie go for it.
1: <laughs> I was uh, I was going to say um I mean firstly I hate double headers in football. They work in other sports in some some scenarios. Like rugby have managed to do it really well and I, I think for, I think maybe for international football it might be easy. I think when emotions are so high around club football particularly towards the end of the season when things are getting tight and people are really frustrated or whatever with how their team has done so far on the men's side, it becomes re—it's always going to play little sister, right? I mean, even down to you know the facilities that we get as journalists, like it's all second fiddle to what has happened earlier in the day in that match. From uh, the way I understand it, uh, the amount of time you get after games, the food, you're, like everything is inferior, you know. And then, yeah, putting it as when it's such a huge game and there's so much at stake was a real like risky move. It's paid off, obviously, to a certain extent, but um I think that's just. Beth England being amazing, but on Beth England, I, I completely agree with everything you said, Chris. One thing I would say is I would have her starting. I think Russo has had a, a poor end to the season, not being that impactful. I think she struggles over 90 minutes for England. And for me, keep her and tune as the impact players and have Jordan Nobbs and Beth England starting. I think Beth England is a player that thrives off of consistency, off of confidence in her from the manager, off of a lot of minutes. I don't think she's a very good impact player. I think she's a very good starter, and I would actually switch it around and say, yeah, keep keep Russo coming off the bench and running tired defenses in, in Australia. That for me is is the move I'd make. I make. Like if she doesn't go, some there's something bigger at play there because she has to. She has to go. If if you look at anything. And everything that she's done this season, she has to
3: be on that plane. The only reason I said don't like I wouldn't suggest her as a starter is because mm. she hasn't been picked yeah. since she's been at Spurs. Mm. She hasn't even been picked, so it be, it would feel unusual to mm. pick her and then start her. But I agree. I think I'd, I I'd put her on there. You know, ten goals and eleven appearances. That's what you want from tournament play. You want someone who's going to score in every game, and she can pretty much score in every game. Just quickly back to the double header though. I will say it was mm. a test. Because as you've got to figure out how you're going to do it, and from a fan perspective, it certainly made me feel better about the men's game because <laughs> I'd forgotten about it, <laughs> like, and, and that was great uh, for me. That was a great way to end the day and to end the season at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So I, I was I was all right with that. To be fair,
0: brilliant. Uh, just one more thing on 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 Beth England. The the good news for Serena Viegman is if she does pick her, she's got a good month before. You know the first game of the Euros. I think they're due to meet up on the 19th of June, aren't they? She's selecting the the squad on the um on the 31st of of May, so she's got time to see where everybody is at, which is which is more more of a luxury than than Gareth Southgate had going into into Qatar and and, and the World Cup there at least. So we'll see, won't we? And as you say, Susie. It will highlight whether or not there's something more at play if she doesn't get selected. Just another quick one on um, on Tottenham in terms of you know Rosella Ryan caught the eye, obviously Beth England as well, and uh, the safety's guaranteed with a game to spare. and And it felt as if, weirdly, they played a little bit more with the shackles off in in this game. But does it almost highlight how disappointing they've been as a team
3: all all season, Chris? Well, I think Kelly mentioned um, Villa earlier being sort of the fifth place team and, you know, the best of the rest and all the rest of it. That's where Spurs thought that they were last season. Finishing fifth, ready to push on, you know, making some key signings. I think the the challenge is probably that there were a lot of new players at once. And I guess, we, you know, might be not used to sort of uh, managing that and, you know, bigger players and all the rest of it. But it's an interesting time. Because we've got, I don't know how many players that are at the end of their contract. You know, the goalkeeper, Tinny Corpola, Shalina Zdorsky, the captain, Cho, Azmita Chiomo Chiyomu Ubagagu, Manu Uwabuchi's, um was only on a half-season loan, but hopefully they'll, you know, give her a, a full-time contract. Kaya Simon, Rosella Ayan, Esther Morgan. They're all out of contract. And there's, there's a sev- several others that have got one year to go. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But of course we need a manager. <laughs> Someone needs to, you know, again, it's like, who's the manager going to be? He's going to, you know, be part of making those decisions and figuring out what they want to do next season. So, you know, the search is on for the men's manager. Hopefully they're doing all the work behind the scenes to figure out what's going on with the women's manager too. But Vicky Jepson, as you know, was said that the club's in her heart. So it'd be interesting to see what they, what happens with Vicky as well.
0: Yeah. I, <laughs> you have a club who needs a manager and, a load of players that's that's not a team (laughs) there's no team there there's quite a lot of building work to do I would say in the summer at at, at Tottenham Um, Kelly barring something very surprising against Chelsea which I think all of us in our heart of hearts if we're truthful don't believe will happen Reading are likely to get relegated on Saturday even though Leicester did lose to West Ham and Leicester could still lose against Brighton at the weekend do you think it's all over for Kelly Chambers and her side?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sad to say that. I think it's been a season too far for Reading. They haven't been able to expand the size and the quality of their squad this season. They are the lowest resource club in the, in the Barclays WSL, I believe. And it's been hard for her because other teams <clears throat> have really strengthened in and amongst them. Relegation to the men's team. I fear for them if they don't beat Chelsea at home. I can't see it happening the way Chelsea are playing Red in for me um, leak too many goals. You know, recently I was watching the game against Everton. They were two nil up and they ended up losing the game three two. So they really struggled. They concede way too many goals and the strength and depth of their squad they just don't have it. And Kelly Chambers has done fantastic for that club. You know, she started out behind the scenes as a general manager. Then she's worked her way up into the first team and yeah, she's had some some really good talented squads. But I don't feel this season they've really got going and and haven't really looked comfortable. And, and it come out of nowhere, really, because I really thought Leicester were going to go down, having picked up no points, I think, in the first nine games. And I'm thinking, God, Leicester's going to really struggle. But Reading just have struggled to pick up points in the in the business end of the season. And, yeah, I don't think it's going to be a happy day for them on Saturday. No, and I think all of us are really sad about that. Sorry, Susie, go for it.
0: I was going to say, if I'm Tottenham, I'm knocking on Kelly Chambers' door and
1: saying, you, you've an incredible and under-resourced team Mm. for a very long time here's a decent level of resources go for it like someone needs to give her a chance with with a bit of money and and some decent players because what she's done there for six seasons has been basically buck every single like expectation so yeah I'd love I'd love to see a club like Spurs come in for
0: her Mm. Elsewhere in the WSL, there was a rare win for West Ham, a first in the WSL since December. They beat Leicester 2-1 to stop the Foxes from guaranteeing their safety and sending Reading down with a game to spare. Rachel Daly tightened her grip on the Golden Boot, scoring again as Aston Villa drew 3-0 with Liverpool. Hannah Benison got a stoppage time winner for Everton in a 2-1 win over Brighton. Uh, we also have a new member of the Women's Championship as Watford beat Nottingham Forest 1-0 in their playoff thanks to a first-half header from Poppy Wilson. Susie, after seeing Bristol City promoted back to the WSL, Watford's return to the Championship really reminds us, actually, that relegation doesn't mean the end to these teams. And hopefully that's a good omen for for Reading as well. A a little bit of patience and maybe foundation building goes a long way.
1: Yeah, I really hope Watford invest, because obviously they took the decision to not stay in the... WSL 2 as it was then and like then go into the championship when it was going semi-pro so I really hope they're like ready and willing and back the team properly as long as the ambition is there from ownership level then it's really really good news otherwise it could end up being like just another devastatingly sad period of their history which would be extremely disappointing given The the battle they have had to fight to get back into a league that they were in on merit as well. Yeah, I really hope that the club has changed their mindset around the team.
0: Yeah, they did it the hard way, didn't they? They had uh, Oxford United and Ipswich breathing down their necks and I think they actually only won the Southern Premier on, on goal difference in the end, then had to do the playoff against Forrest, who'd won the Northern Premier. So, you know, they certainly worked hard to get where they are. It would be disappointing from the club's point of view if uh, if they didn't push on. There was a lot of excitement on the final day of the season in the Scottish Women's Premier League, as Celtic thought they'd clinched the title, only to be foiled in stoppage time by Glasgow. Glasgow. Glasgow City. Such a dramatic day. Uh, Celtic had started the day in third. They were winning 2 0 at Hearts. Glasgow were drawing 0 0 against Rangers. But a stoppage time winner for Glasgow City meant they won it for the 15th time in 16 seasons despite the investment from Celtic and Rangers trying to usurp them. Celtic thought they'd had a reprieve when Rangers equalised but the goal was ruled out for a foul on goalkeeper Lee Gibson. I mean, it kind of puts our title race to shame a little bit, Kelly, doesn't it? But um, very exciting for Scottish football to see these record crowds being pulled in to watch historic clubs battle to win.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Great that it's just not our league that's thriving. The Scottish league is also, and it's very competitive. Yeah, and it's great for for the fans to go out and show their support like they have and what a way to end the season. So, so close right to the end. It's
3: good to see Scottish dominance being broken as well, right? Because... You don't see anything but Rangers and Celtics. So to have a you know somebody else in there kind of shaking things up is good to see.
0: Yeah, it really is. Uh, just finally, some interesting research from Tom Gary at the telegraph that came out yesterday showing how much clubs are spending on agents fees versus what they're investing in their women's team. Chris, it's maybe not surprising that there is a discrepancy, but the size between some of the figures is astounding. It feels a little bit as if we're kind of Manchester City baiting today on the pod, and, and we're not, but this is an example, right? So Manchester City spent close to £120 million on agents' fees in comparison to just under £20 million on the women's team. Liverpool spent under £10 million on their women's team while they're splashing out around £80 million million on
3: agents fees it's quite scary I saw that graphic yesterday and I actually couldn't believe it and and I you know I appreciate that there are sort of there's commerciality at play and sort of talk about the fact that women's football isn't bringing the revenue etc but we do you do know that with any business particularly when it's in startup phase you have to invest in it in order to build your product and drive the revenue and to honestly see that much money being spent on agents fees, which, you know, look, no agents do great work. Some agents, their... some
0: agents do yeah. great work.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's fair. So yeah, some agents do great work for their, for their players, but those are obscene amounts of money that are going nowhere into the game. You know, I want to see the game invested in, whether that's men's or women's football. And that can be for the players because the players are the ones that produce the magic on the pitch. Absolutely. But to see that level in the agent's fees, it's, it feels obscene. Absolutely obscene. You know, from Tottenham's perspective, I was pleased to see that we were the lowest on the agent's fees. £45 million it looks like. Um, but also pretty much, you know, on par, maybe a little bit more than, than Liverpool on the investment in the women's team and 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 actually i want to see well, i want to see more investment in the talent on the on the pitch and that's going to be in in the women's team and and just see what we can do there so it was an interesting comparison to make as well actually because you didn't have to put those two things up against each other but actually it was quite stark to see it so forget what the investment is in the in in the men's team men's football overall but just in those agents fees to outstrip investment in their women's team overall that's everything that's i'm sure the infrastructure the players Agents in that perspective, you know, all of those things. Yeah, if something felt wrong looking at that graphic. Yeah, you're nodding, Susie.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's horrific, isn't it? <laughs> like, the, the, I, I think Chris hit the nail on the head when she said that the, it's the amount of money that isn't going back into football that is really gross because that's the key, really. Like, it's the idea of profiting off a game that is supposed to be there to serve a community that you know the fa is a not-for-profit body clubs should be not-for-profit bodies they should be building and investing in their communities in grassroots football in their local areas in their women's teams in their disability teams that's where money should be going the idea that you've got this like like hundreds of millions of pounds being creamed off the top by agents to buy super yachts and you know be able to be at the beck and call of their players you know ring up and say oh I I, I need this tomorrow get it for me and they can do it because they've got this like endless pit of money pouring in from these really obscene deals that are driving up transfer fees in the men's game to a absolutely disgusting level look at the pandemic and how that really contextualised football in everyone's minds and like where the real value in society is when you've got nurses going in, working in the most horrific conditions, putting their lives at risk, and then only a couple of years later having to go on strike to try and get a semblance of a living wage that matches the rate of inflation. How have we gone from a period where there was so much anger around what mattered in society around the pandemic to then looking at things like this it just doesn't make sense none of it makes sense and the idea that football which is a community birthed sport isn't having all of the money it produces being put back into the benefit of the community is just madness
3: Susie out for Prime Minister. (laughs) Absolutely,
0: absolutely. Um, What a great place to end as well. Um, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure. I think you need to get your songwriting sheets ready. And next time you're on the pod, I expect one for all of us, please. I am working on it as we speak, Faye. I love that. I love that. Kelly, always a pleasure. Listen, good luck with what's going on at at Arsenal. And I'm sure we'll dip in and find out uh, how you're getting on again very soon. Cool. Thanks for having me on. Susie Rack for Prime Minister.
1: I'll take it. I'll go Lotto or for Prime Minister. That'll be my my pass the buck.
0: Are you going deputy then in that case?
1: Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I think Leah would have a good case for that, wouldn't she?
0: Oh, okay. She's she's shirking (laughs) the big job already. Unbelievable. It's too much fun criticising. (laughs) We'll be back next week for the last day of the season. A reminder as well, you can now email us on women's football weekly at theguardian.com. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is produced by Jack Claramont and Jesse Parker Humphreys' music composition was by Laura Iredale. Our executive producer is Sal Armat.